Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. Amazing to have you on board and listening. I appreciate it during this time of crisis. So what I've tried to do, as you know, over the last couple of weeks is bring in people from the industry and in the industry who are directly connected and associated with this. And today is a really important podcast because I'm talking with Andrew Danson, who's the Director of Urban Food Collective in Melbourne. Andrew, how are you? I'm going really well, Sean, really well. It's been, uh, been an interesting couple of weeks. Absolutely. Now, the reason I wanted to get you on, Andrew, is because you are you deal directly with landlords and tenants in the leasing space and um, not from a, a shopping centre thing, but, uh, but, but uh, over and above that with clients, and I want you to explain how you do that. But um, it's, it's really pertinent to have you on at the moment in Australia, and obviously we've got a worldwide audience, but... Um, Tenants and landlords at the moment are, you know, obviously will will have, uh, I wouldn't say issues, but will have um, uh, situations at the moment which are very uncommon to them, uh, and it's it's going to rely on a, on a lot of communication. So, I want you to, I know we'll talk about that pretty soon, but I want you to just have a chat about how you started out in the in the leasing industry. Um, funnily enough, I, I started, or well, firstly, thanks for having me on, Sean. Really no appreciate problem. the opportunity. Um, I funnily enough started uh, as a real estate agent in industrial services for C.B. Richard Ellis in Adelaide mm-hmm. um, and then bounced between a few real estate agencies while I was doing my um, property degree, my property valuation mm-hmm. degree, um, then commenced work as a valuer, um, for Propel Valuers and Night Frank. Got my certified practicing valuer certificate and realised I didn't like looking at spreadsheets um, <laughs> and doing massive, massive regression analysis on the value of properties. And uh, I, uh, I took a job uh, as a property officer with uh, Wendy Super Sundays in Adelaide. Would you, um, would you, which was would you believe that my, 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 my parents had two shops of Wendy's and my cousin yeah. also had... Uh, sorry, my uncle had three. So that's incredible. When I saw that, I was like, "Small world." Yeah, because yeah, Wendy's is obviously such a you know was such a big brand and amazing franchise at that point in time. So there you go. Uh, and so I worked with Wendy's for around uh, four or five years, um, and then went to Roll mm-hmm. um, Vietnamese, which is a which has been an up and coming Vietnamese mm-hmm. brand um, for a while and sort of assisted them, uh, across their development function. And about four years ago, um, Bo Seckle and I started Urban Food Collective. Um, Bo and I went funnily enough to high school together. So, <laughs> and we both ended up in this random little niche property industry and look, we both love it. And we sort of real opportunity and, and a real opportunity in helping, um, smaller, um, food and beverage operators at the time, and that was really what our business was based mm-hmm. based on. And it's it's certainly evolved since then, and we, we still help a lot of startups. Um, but, but for us, it, it was more around the property field, particularly in leasing, is is such a technical uh, such a technical space, and it's probably one of the most complex leasing functions to do. Um, things like works and and, and rent free and mm. ca- contributions and all those sort of mm-hmm. things and and um, we felt that our our sort of skill set and experience could really add value to some of those smaller businesses and and that was pretty well how we started and yeah we we we, we tick along now and 
we do sort of similar things. We're probably working with bigger brands now than we were, and that's just been a bit of an evolution that's occurred really over the last 12 months. Yeah. So it's been interesting, and we love it. Love love working with people in food. They're they're genuine, honest, and they're they're great people. Mm, totally agree. Did you did you like the complexity of um of those kind of leases because they are quite confusing, especially for startups with regards to lease free p- uh, pieces and 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 fit out contributions and how that actually affects the lease further on. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of people get. Get uh, get into leases. They probably shouldn't have unrealizing what, yeah. what happens in year three. Um, yeah, you know, has that has that been sort of what what you wanted to try and overcome for those people? Look, look probably for me, I, I think I'm a bit of a I, look. I think I, I still like my concept of valuations mm-hmm. and those sort of things, and the complexity of doing some of those valuation jobs. Um, it probably. That, the complexity of then doing a food food and beverage deal probably really appealed to me in that it just wasn't – you're not just leasing a box with four walls and someone's wheeling in yeah. clothing racks and, and off you go. And and I, I think it's probably more I ended up – I'm, I'm passionate about food. I like eating food. It's something that I, I, I love. And it, the, there was that as well. So it was sort of a bit of a an intellectual sort of – um, passion, but then also just a personal passion. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah, love trying new foods, love eating out, love love meeting new people in the in the industry. So, so that that was probably why it was. But look, there's a lot of people that have got into leases they uh, they shouldn't have, and I think there'll be a lot of people moving forward that will get into leases they shouldn't. So, mm-hmm. it's sort of yeah, what, where, that that was that was that was where we we sort of went from. And and as I said, our, our skill set, or oh, my skill set, really complemented each other in that he, he'd worked obviously for a long time at Grilled mm-hmm. uh, and I, I had the valuation in that Wendy's franchising background. So it was sort of, yeah, interesting combination and interesting space to be in. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's explain the last, you know, four to six weeks in the industry with uh, since the crisis has happened, your, um, what you guys look after is, you know, probably number number one or number two, or definitely number two on um, on most people's balance sheet and what they pay out. Like, how have you seen it change and evolve in the last sort of four to six weeks as the crisis has taken hold in Australia? Look, I think initially there's there's certainly been a large amount of, and I mentioned this earlier, a large amount mm. of fear. People mm. people are really really scared, and 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 understandably because. Uh, no one, no one's ever in a lot of cases, and I'm not saying everyone, but a lot of cases, no one's really ever experienced this. So, so when, when sort of the first stage happened, it sort of had a bit of a, a shock impact, uh, particularly on our client base, and I can only really speak specifically about them. But mm. it, it really, but it had varying degrees. So. Uh, the, our guys that sat in sort of a grab and go discretionary sort of impulse, ca- sorry, an impulse category, really copped it initially yep. and yep. copped it big. Whereas some of your larger format dining, takeaway type, um, QSR experiences, it was a lot more of a slow burn. So, so it's sort of, it's been an interesting, uh, interesting look because the thing that we've probably realised is that no scenario for each client is the same. So effectively the rule book as to what you would do and how you would do it, do something 
is it the same for anyone? And mm-hmm. and it's and and the problems. For example, one of our clients um, had significant issues in um, uh, procurement, manufacturing, sort of uh, production, manufacturing, uh, and logistics, and they were unable to um, maintain supply to their retail shops. So they had to um, they had to close all their stores two weeks ago. Um, yeah, right. But that wasn't a retail issue because they were happy to continue to try and trade from a retail point of view, but mm. they just they were just unable to maintain that 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 supply that's needed in the stores to actually run the shop. So, so that level of complexity had sort of really um, really changed. Then then the next level of restrictions came in, and it was the takeaway delivery type options and mm. and that then created another layer of complexity because some of our clients had never geared for takeaway or delivery uh funnily right. enough well, and so okay. so so you, and some of them had but then you start building through delivery only um and you're starting to look at the costs associated with that they're very expensive sales because look to me i don't think the aggregators um, the uber eats and those sort of guys Mm. They're not pro- probably necessarily providing the level of support they need to to their actual their, their mm. operators. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And I'm probably being a little bit blunt there, but anyway. Um, no, it, no, it's it, true. All they've all they've provided is a marketing is a marketing spend and have haven't dropped down the delivery delivery percentage by one percent with the major ones. So yeah, yeah. So so that and then obviously it's created a low turnover environment. You've still got to try and run your run your business. You've still got your uh, your labour component on your PL and and there's numbers there. You've still got to hit to break even. And and, and some businesses are, are doing that and doing it doing it okay. And they're making some are still trading. They're making a little bit of loss. But their their theory there is is well, it's better. You sort of maintain the rage a little bit, and people still know you're there. Mm. Um, and when this all when this all stops, at least there's some sort of awareness. Yeah, totally, um, almost used as a marketing push more than anything else. Um, just to just so it's not yeah. confused. Um, yeah. What yeah. What do you think a tenant should be saying to a landlord right now? You know, either if they're if they're continuing to trade in in whatever shape um, they can, or if they've decided to. Um, close the doors. Like, what kind of conversation should they be having with their with their landlord? Well, they need to probably, rather than keyboard warrior style, bash out an email. Um, they need to be on mm. the phone. They need to have a conversation, and they need to make sure that their landlord actually understands what understands their business. Firstly, like, what are the pressures? Where are the problems? But secondly, like. They need to sort of just be aware that a lot of these a lot of these um, landlords are under significant pressure mm. as well. It's it's not quite this isn't this isn't missing anyone this whole COVID thing. It, it it's it's hitting every aspect of the industry. And look, there was an interesting statistic earlier in the week around the shopping centre association. So they only represent twenty two percent of all the retail tenants. Mm-hmm. Sort of, or if you understand my meaning, those shopping centres only make up twenty-two percent of all the tenants wow. in the markets. So it's sort of, I, I found that was, I, I found thought that it was, was a hell of a lot more. I thought it'd be at least fifty percent. Mm, yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, so there, that was a really interesting set. I because I thought it would have been, I thought they would have been well mm. over half, but not mm. the case. 
so so when you start to reflect on obviously got you've got commercial office buildings and those sort of things in that obviously as retail because they fall under the retail uh, leases act but you've mm-hmm. got um you've got a, a large portion of these people are private landlords and they've got private landlords with private people problems mm-hmm. and 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 that that's probably the other thing i, I would really be you taking this opportunity to to talk to your landlord about what their problems are, what their pressures are. Um, and and the, the code um, calls for transparency from the tenant, but also from the landlord as well. Um, and, and, and those those things are going to make this a lot, a lot easier. There's a really interesting example I heard this week um, around some of the larger institutional landlords. Mm. Uh, and they're under considerable cash flow pressure at the moment because of the superannuation um, Mm. The superannuation legislation that was passed, so yes. people being able to access, people being able to access the super. So I, I'd never really considered this, but uh, people being able to access the super, it, it's meant that obviously people are now drawing down on the super, but a lot of these superannuation funds don't actually have the liquidity to be paying that out. So they need the landlords to be getting the rent to provide the liquidity to pay out the super. <laughs> so it, 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 this it, this is a, this is as I said, this isn't missing anyone. This is a it is an enormous cycle, and and it's 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 something that's incredible. Um, talk about so you talk to your landlord about the frequency of payments. If you're really struggling, try and change it to weekly. Talk to them about abatement. Do all these sorts of things. Uh, the the new code allows for that discussion to happen, and it provides it provides a framework that that you can you can both work together to get an outcome. There, there's levers in there for both parties, and and. I think that's the thing that I've probably found the most interesting about the new code is there's been a lot of vitriol, particularly on the tenant side, that it hasn't cut deep enough. But then there's the same on the landlord side um, around, oh, it doesn't protect this, it doesn't do that. Well, I would suggest that if both parties are unhappy, it's probably the fairest thing that's that's happened. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 in this, and in this case, that's what it needs to be. It just needs to be fair because... It's not as if the, the landlords have been sitting in a cave somewhere concocting this virus to, to blow up tenants. It's, it's, it, they haven't caused it. It's not their fault. Uh, and whilst um, some of the discussion you've probably had with your landlords over the journey have been tricky and, and difficult, it, it's something that um, I sort of feel that y- you probably need to sort of break bread, have a really open discussion about what's actually going on because – the most important thing, and, and again, the Prime Minister said this, we need businesses ready to go in six months' time. And, yeah. and if everyone's having World War Three, and, and it's we're not getting anywhere and no one's paying anything, it's going to be a – retail's going to be one hell of a mess by the time we get through this. Mm. It's, it, it, it is a really, really fine line at the moment. Very, It's a balancing act. And, and the one thing sort of implore everyone to consider – uh, when they're talking with their landlord, is just be fair. It's this isn't about winning. It isn't about losing. It's just about being fair. Because as much as you're hurting, there's probably as a as a as an operator, um, they're probably hurting in, in a lot of cases just as much, but just in different ways, and their pressure points are different. Yeah, I totally agree. Do you, um, Andrew, do you think uh, I, I'm curious why there's so much hostility around this particular? <laughs> issue in hospitality. Um, do you think it's just a point that probably the parties haven't had someone like yourself or Bo as that sort of mediator at the start of a relationship with the landlord and 
um, and the tenant, and therefore it's always been sort of this hostile kind of relationship. Why aren't you doing more for me? Why aren't you paying on time? That kind of thing, and that sort of led to this um, pivotal yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah, I would say there's an aspect of that. I, I, I would, I, but the other thing I would say, and never underestimate the fact that the two the two parties are opposing forces. And their outcomes mm. and agendas are always totally different. So it's always going to be, um, I wouldn't say, hostile's a, hostile's a big word and, and we're not talking mm. a golf. You, you sort of, you, you're trying to, you're, you're trying to, you need to be able to have a discussion. And and I think I think where we sort of really assist is, is we have the experience, we have a, a significant amount of relationships in the market and it makes it a lot easier if there's problems. But the other yeah. thing I would say is when people do have problems, they're incredibly scared, embarrassed, all of those sort of things to, to have it had to have the discussion. They may have made a mistake. Like something these things happen. Like everyone's human. And and that's that's the one thing I think everyone, particularly in our industry, doesn't really understand or, or sort of concede, is that yeah. you know, this is there's that opposing forces. People make mistakes, and everyone's human. It's it's not this isn't this isn't foolproof. It's not an exact science. Starting a new food and beverage business, as as everyone, all your listeners would know, something that is necessarily necessarily a guarantee to to print money and to to uh, have success. Uh, mm. There's there's a there's a there's there's a lot of examples of failure, and 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 some of the mistakes they've made aren't. Aren't necessarily, aren't necessarily their mistakes, and and they're other people's mistakes, and they've had to live with them. But there's also, there's also that that whole sort of, um, this whole that whole out is around. You only get one opportunity to do your lease, and mm. and you've got to do it right up front. And and people, I think, put that whole leasing function so far down the priority order. That it becomes a major problem because look, you're a real estate business before you're anything else, and look, I don't, I don't care what anyone says because if you don't have a site, you can't trade, and mm. and that that's probably the thing in in my head around the hierarchical order of a business. That's where the real estate function sits, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm quite biased because I I work in in the in the industry uh, heavily on behalf of of retailers, but. You can make so many mistakes if you don't get that lease right up front, and and that's yeah. You, you would have said a lot of them yourself, Sean. And mm. you just some of them are quite simple, and, and people just genuinely don't know. It's not this isn't a skill set where you can sort of you know what I'm going to have a crack and I'll I might be okay. It's yes. something that you, can, <laughs> you, you really need to you, know you, it because yeah yeah mm. you can make some really really big fundamental like category one. Um, costs at the moment are just absolutely obscene and you would be absolutely stunned the amount of um, operators that come to us saying, oh, I need your help, I've, I've done this lease deal and I really need some, I need some assistance trying to sort of fix it um, because they haven't, they haven't carved out the category one costs um, and made the landlord pay for them because your cat ones are effectively, uh, they're, they're improving or an improvement to the landlord's asset. Mm-hmm. Um, you should be trying everything in your, your power to try and get some sort of contribution or, or, or uh, rent-free or even getting them to, to do it for you before you 
before you sort of commence because uh, people can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a simple strip shop to, to open a fish and chip shop. And, and God, it's it's just scary because you try and build that into your, your ROI modelling and you, you're never going to get there. No, no. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, where do you think – I noted that um, Emporium here in Melbourne um, largely closes doors this week and that's probably one of the biggest – um, uh, retail offerings in in the city. Uh, I'm not sure if other uh, if other shopping centres around the country are starting to do the same thing. With a lot of the retail, uh, especially fashion retail chains, deciding to close. Like, do you think that's a that's a sign of things to come in the coming coming weeks? That uh, oh, you'll see shopping centres actually close down apart from their apart from the food sections. I, I, I think. I think. Look, very, very reluctantly, a very brave decision by vicinity centres, but also a leadership position. Mm. I, I, I sort of feel that they they were on a hiding to nothing keeping that, that particular asset open, and I, I don't think that's going to set a precedent for any of their other mm. centres. I think, I think they'll try and maintain uh, the majority of the shopping centres outside of that CBD environment mm. open because what it does is, is it, it, it takes the pressure off um, you've got you've got people in there. Look, I would I would suggest some of those clothing retailers in there wouldn't have sold an item for two or three weeks. Um, mm. uh, it, it just takes the pressure off. It gives everyone a breath. They've closed. Look, there's obviously going to be some ramifications around that in relation to rents and returns for their investors and things like that. But mm. but the the bottom line is is you're on a hiding to nothing, leaving it open. Um, and as I said, pressure, pressure, sort of pressure valves released. They can take some time now and work with their retail partners um, to try and really get a decent outcome. We've got a couple of F and B operators in there that are still operating. They're, they're running takeaway under there, so they're using um, uh, Caledonian Lane um, mm-hmm. and the vertical transport on that side of the building to get the food in and out, and the the cars sort of drive through and they do drop offs, and they, they've managed to sort of use 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 it in that manner um, mm. without having to worry about running front of house stuff as well. So so there's there's certainly um, I feel um, I certainly feel that vicinity have taken a leadership position on that. And Melbourne Central's an interesting one as well because they're mm. they're effectively in the same the same boat, probably a little bit different in that they've probably got more of the uh, I'm forgetting the terminology that the Prime Minister is using, essential essential service. Yeah, they've got a yeah. supermarket down the bottom. Yeah, yeah. All that kind of stuff. That a- a- Asian grocer and those sort of things. So mm. um, I sort of feel that that's probably going to be a little bit different. Um, I understand they're closing their Lonsdale Street entrances. Um, mm. So that, that could be the beginning of that because anyone that's going to be on that end is never going to get any traffic. So that may, that may sort of signal a bit of a change in there too. But look... Uh, yeah, I, I think the right decision. I think could it have been made earlier? Yeah, probably, probably should have. But they had to get there and they had to look over the edge before they jumped, and and they have. And as I said, it gives everyone time now to sort of work out what they're going to do. Everything's on pause. Everything's on hold. Um, and there's no real, um, there's no real sort of pressure to try and manufacture something that. That you just you you sort of clutching at straws. Mm. For how do you think 
how do you think a, um, a person out there, depending if they've got one venue they have or if they have five or, or 25 or, or whatnot, makes sense of sort of what is going on and understands where the pivot might be? Because we're hearing, we're in a 24, 24-hour news cycle, we're hearing different things from different states about things they might want to do over the coming weeks and months in, in opening up certain sectors. They don't talk about what the certain sectors are. Then we, you know, you hear from the Prime Minister saying, you know, we're going we're gonna to put everything into hibernation for six months. Um, how, how do you think, you know, a person who has one or two food vendors is going to, venues is going to make sense of how they can plan themselves out of this, Andrew? Look, to me, I think it, it's really going to come uh, down to effectively you need to make decisions that are right for you. Mm. I would be sitting there if it was me running running a venue at the moment. I'd be operating on a, I'd be looking at it on a week horizon at the moment mm. um, from a short term point of view. We're operating in weeks. They've been categorically clear that this is going to be six months, mm. and every every bit of language says six months. So so. You look at the new leasing code and the moratorium on leases, that's six months. Mm. So that you, you've got six months. Like to me, it, 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 it's screaming there's six. So from a real property point of view, it's a six-month problem right mm. now. Then if you then dig deeper into the code, it, it talks about – it then talks about a recovery period. So – I would be breaking it down in line with – you need to hang your hat on something, Sean. And mm. to me at the moment, I'd be looking at – all the language is six months, so we need to be sitting there going, there are going to be restrictions in place, <coughs> be it stage, not, not, a, not a good time to be coughing. Um, <laughs> um, there's, going to be, there's going to be sort of, uh, there's a six-month time frame that's going to have some level of restrictions in it um, mm. on people movement and those sort of things. I, I would just be, I would be hanging my hat on that. The next, the next question is that recovery question, and that is going to be the. That is a great unknown. The fix. So at the moment, the fixed rate um, home loans are that one year is the same as three years, mm. and, and that to me suggests that the banks are sitting there saying, "Well, we're seeing a recovery is going to take approximately three years." So, wow. so you're trying to use, you, you're trying to look through history and look for indicators around. Uh, what's happening and look, probably the most recent one that's following a similar trend is 1991. Now, I was, how was I? I was eight, nine, something like that. So it's sort of, look, I, I can't remember it. I, I've done a little bit of reading on it, but, but they're the sort of things I'd be trying to investigate and look at the runway as to how long and how, how far that runway was until things sort of got back to normal. I read a Fin Review article earlier in the week of the 25 we're going to lose 25% of GDP. So that's that's incredible when you think the stimulus package is 16% of GDP. So it's sort yes. of like I don't think anyone knows, but but the one thing we're sitting there with our clients is, is we're in for six months of hard work and then it's going to be a block of hard work afterwards. What that looks like and what that is, we don't know because the new retail is never going to be the same after this, Sean, and particularly food and beverage retail. Um Mm. Like so, so you may have been sitting there on an occupancy cost of 10 twelve percent, pretty happy. Life's pretty good. Yep. All of a sudden, you come back and your, your turnover is now seventy percent of what it was. 
that yep. 10 to 12 percent occupancy cost is looking 15 to 17 and you're sitting there going well how how am i how am i going to do this? How, how do i make this work like what, what am i going to do and and mm. and and that's the the unknown in this and and what you what you're tending to find is is the landlords are holding on to the hope that everything's going to be the same and i think I think after this, um, I don't know about you, Sean, but I'm certainly missing going out and seeing people and, and eating out and doing all those things. I, I would say there's going to be a fairly significant spike initially. And yes. then I think what you'll find is there's going to be the new normal will settle probably a month after the restrictions are lifted. Um, and that'll be that'll be fairly steady afterwards. And, and everyone's got to be careful when this is over that that hype doesn't sort of correlate into a, uh, some sort of new lease position that that really compromises um, compromises the ongoing operation of, of their businesses because it's not something that again you're only going to get one go at this and and you need to get it right and it's critical mm. that you get it right. Yeah. So my my sort of feeling is it the further the further out your venue is from the CBD the quicker we'll be to recover. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's actually a good. That's a great analogy. And and the inner CBD sites will will take longer to pick up, and I use I use that for two two reasons. One, probably the first is that um, the, there there are so many people who work in the CBD who won't be for whatever reason. There'll be there'll be constrictions on on um, employees with inside you know. Uh, major institutions who live inside the CBD, so there'd just be less less people, I believe. And I think the second one is this working from home situation at the moment. I think will make um, owners of CBD businesses and office spaces really rethink how their staff work. Well, and also and their usage of space. Usage of space for for sure. Um, and uh, I think a person who is working Monday to Friday, nine to five, will all of a sudden probably work Monday to Wednesday, and so that means a person who was there five days a week is there three, um, and it just means there's less footfall. So I think, um, especially in the immediate term, as people are still sort of like, oh, I don't know if this is still okay, and do I feel safe? Yeah. There isn't a vaccine, all that kind of stuff. So... Um, that's that's my gut feeling how it's going to play out, Andrew. But but yeah. No, and look to me that that I think if you're looking at it, you, you're right. I I didn't really probably considered it in that manner. I, I think that's probably spot on. That outer ring will mm. recover Thanks. quicker, and then as you move in, it'll go. We're certainly concerned about our CBD yeah. operators, and and mm. there's there's a number of reasons for that. They they didn't get the kick of the uni. Um. Yep. The uni traffic or uh, sort of the staffing that they usually get, particularly in Melbourne, um, mm. and that that to me is probably a big concern because usually that you usually see a fairly significant spike in turnovers around the time uni kicks off again. So, so there's there's a number of there's a number of different factors that I think are going to impact the CBD. Look, I, I would be I would be I'd be scared to think how many big CEOs of big corporates in the city are sitting there now going, I've got everyone working from home. I can probably pay them extra to set up an, an office or pay them like a car allowance or rental allowance or something. And, yep. and they, they can use their, use their house as an office and that means they're not consuming in the city. The other thing as well, 
people, you, the other thing that people aren't, don't seem to be talking about at the moment either is you, every time you read the paper, such, such and such has stood down this amount of people, so they're not getting paid. And then such and such has dropped pays by 40% or such and such has taken pay cuts at, at this level. That, that that that's discretionary spend money. Like you, all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, big time. yeah, all of a sudden, that's not there either. Coupled with the traffic, coupled with people working from home, it's going to be there. There, they were my sort of thoughts on it. But that out of out of ring concepts, that's a good one. I'd you, you yeah. need to claim that one. <laughs> I'll make sure I publicise it and trademark. Yeah. It. Um, um, so last question, Andrew, we've, I think we've had a really good chat and I think I, I know a lot of people will get a lot from this conversation, so I appreciate your time, um, especially over Easter. Um, how do you think a tenant should be looking, not a landlord, but how do you think a tenant should be looking post-COVID-19 as we get into that recovery period as we talked about before? Should it, should it be re-looking at leases and, um, and try and negotiate a different kind of lease? Is that, yeah, is that well, sort of what's possible? Well, or? 100% they should be having a pretty, pretty, uh, a really good discussion with the landlord future is and, and what they see the future being. And that, mm. that, and the reason I'm saying that is, is again, using that example, I'm sitting there running my, my, my operation at 10 to 12% occupancy. We come back and all of a sudden the new normal 70%, I'm paying 16 to 18%. I would argue there's a lot of profit and loss statements uh, running around at the moment that couldn't mm-hmm. support that sort of increase. And then you couple that with your rental increases and all these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't have a business. So so this is, you've got a framework in that new leasing code um, that, that gives you the ability to, to, to have a discussion and to, to really try and nut out nut out an arrangement that works for you. The one thing I would say is is don't be scared to say no. Like a lot of people are going to be in front of them preemptively by landlords. Um, mm-hmm. And whilst it may seem generous and it may seem okay, if it doesn't work, you don't have to agree to it. And and that's that that's the important thing with this. This is about truly negotiating an outcome that works for both parties. And, again, mm-hmm. it's that balance. It's not this isn't get, getting a letter rammed down your throat and you've got to sign it and you've got to do this or we're going we're gonna to breach you and you're going to kick you out and all this sort of stuff, all these sort of typical threats. It, it is the one true opportunity you're going to get to work through a solution that actually will work for both parties. And, and I say both parties because it has to work for both parties because, again, a lot of those landlords have got their own pressures as well. Yeah, I guess... I guess at the end of the day, what everyone needs to remember in regards with landlords um, is they've got bills to pay too. Yeah, correct. Um, and and even if they're a big um, a big organisation like uh, Century Group or the Sydney Centres or or whatnot, they've got they've got people above them who they need to you know they need to pay to um, investors. They need to pay to um, superannuation firms. Like there's 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 money that needs to be paid back and and. It needs to come to a yeah a resolution, and they tenants need to be coming with things with uh, with eyes wide open and really thinking about how they um, how they structure their structure their operations moving forward as a reset. And yeah. um, as I always say, with any any new startup, Andrew, the three most important people to have in your corner is a really good accountant, a really good lawyer, and a really good leasing agent like yourself and Bo. 
and um, it's just it's just critical in these in these kind of times that you need great people around you. hundred so. percent. Uh, the other thing I wouldn't be scared of doing either in this environment is looking at your property related problems differently. Like, mm. the, like you don't have like the real estate industry as a whole has been an industry that's been a square box for a long time, and and, yep. and people have dealt with the same problems in the same way since forever. Um, mm-hmm. don't be scared to try and address things differently because I think mm-hmm. retail leasing and retail as a whole is never going to be the same and it's going to be different. Mm-hmm. And people that can evolve and adapt, when you look at some of the innovations that have occurred because of COVID, like Silver's doing his take-home delivery packs, Chin Chin are doing a home takeaway, which you never, ever mm-hmm. thought they'd do. Never, ever thought it would do, yeah. Yeah, Pocade, Pocade have got the Pokemart, which is this sort of uh, aggregating sort of delivery service, the We Are Open movement. Lamar Greens have got their home box concept, which you'd be familiar with. Mm-hmm. You've got, you got Dan Holm and George Colin Barris and those guys are, are taking people into their kitchens at home and running cooking classes. Like, people are doing things differently. And I, I think mm-hmm. leasing's no lease, – leasing – shouldn't be any different to that. Like you've got to try and you've really got to try and evolve, adapt and, and change. And if you're different, it may present an opportunity that 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 you may never have expected or you may you may get an outcome because you've been different that you may never have imagined. And and that that's something that you've I'd be really encouraging and imploring people to think about because this isn't this isn't a normal time. This isn't this isn't something that we're, we're ever going to have again. And it, it, you may find something that, that creates creates something that for your business is the best thing for it. And it may not work for anyone else, but it may work for you. And and that's, that's the way um, I think you've got to address it because as much as typical as it is for a real estate agent to come to you and say, oh, we're going to give you a, a 25% abatement and a 25% deferral and all that, well, Blow that! They're not deferring sales, so why why should mm. we be deferring rent? So sort of, you've got to start to really put a different hat on and try and work on different solutions. Be it lease extensions, lease options, all of these sorts of things. Rent reviews. You try. You can adjust and adapt. And these things, I think, everything's on the table to get an outcome that's fair for both parties. And and that that's I think that to me is probably the thing that we've we've really taken out of what's happened. Mm. It's all all back on the table. Yeah, yeah, correct. Um, Andrew, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Um, what's the best way that people can uh, contact you guys and and learn more about you in, in these uh, in these challenging times? Uh, well, we've got our website, uh, Urban Food Collective. I think it's dot com, uh, yep. and then uh, more than happy um, for people to. Tap us an email. My email is andrew at urbanfood.net.au. Um, yeah, and we're sort of certainly happy to talk to people as well. So if anyone wants to give me a call, my number is 0433825117. So look, more than happy to more than happy to have a chat with anyone if they need to, or if they just need a bit of a just spitball an idea. No issues there at all. Yeah, and I'll I'll link that up in the bio of this podcast as always. And thank you, Andrew, for your time. You're doing some great work, so we appreciate it. No worries, Sean. Thanks, mate.